Hello, everyone. I'm Al Daldegan, creator and producer of the Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas podcast, supported by Rainforest Alberta. This podcast showcases the people who are working to improve Alberta's innovation ecosystem. This episode is hosted by Lori Farley. Lori's business and voluntary commitments curate and facilitate connections, relationships, and opportunities for social change through entrepreneurship, partnerships, and alliances between various sectors around the globe, including community development, arts, disability, education, and technology. Lori is involved in numerous ventures related to social innovation and socioeconomic development, including Intonovus Canada and Impact Calgary. Let's get right to it with Lori and her conversation with Dustin Poole. Take it away, Lori. Hello, everybody. This is Lori Farley, and today I am in Metaspace, one of the brand new um, workspaces opened up in Calgary, and I'm talking to Dustin Poole. Dustin, welcome to the Rainforest Podcast. Thanks, Lori. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. So one of the things that we want to talk to you about is, guess what? Your new hot space in Calgary. Can you tell us about that? Um, yeah, I can tell you lots of things about that. Okay, let's hear um, it. So we're a little bit different than a typical co-working space. So I would say that we're a disruptive technology collaborative environment. Uh, it doesn't mean that we only support people focusing on technology specifically, but pretty much anything that's disruptive and uh, aims to change the world mm-hmm. in a positive way. And serendipity brought us together because we were looking for a new space uh, to support our social impact projects and commitments that we have to the ecosystem and the economy in Alberta. And we just happened to hear that there was an event happening on zero waste and there was going to be room for 40 people. And I said, 40 people? We need room for 40 people. And we descended on you and you graciously were able to help us run an event uh, around our crowdfunding hub that we're launching here in Calgary. So that was super awesome of you, and we really appreciate that. So tell us a little bit about how you became an entrepreneur. Where'd you grow up? Where Where'd you come from? Who are you, Justin? Oh, I don't know if I can tell you that. <laughs> um, no, I'm, I'm born and raised in Calgary. I lived in Victoria for about a year and a half just after high school. So other than that, I pretty much spent my entire life here. Entrepreneurship, I think, came at a pretty young age. I think my first job, I was maybe eight years old, 10 years old as a paper boy. And I also worked at the arena across the street from my house and I'd collect pucks and give them back to the people who work there. And I was always finding little ways to uh, employ myself at a very young age. And I've pretty much been working my whole life since then. When I was young, I went through the Junior Achievement uh, Program. I also was, I guess you could say I was doing professional art by the time I was out of high school. So I was already making money off of art mm-hmm. and doing things my own way. So I think I just have it in my nature to to start my own business and work for myself. Perfect. Thanks, Dustin. So um, what got you into, nobody knows this yet, I'm going to sort of ease in. You're into sustainability and you're into some green technologies. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, totally. Um, I guess you could say I'm into sustainability. Um Personally, I wouldn't say that sustainability is really my favorite thing because to me, that's kind of like getting a 50% in school. All right, sustainability is like what you need to kind of stay alive. So uh, a phrase I use or a point I make is if I asked you how your marriage was and you said, oh, it's sustainable, (laughs) 
Like that tells you exactly the problem with sustainability. Uh, I prefer to aim towards rege- like regenerative design, mm-hmm. re- resilient systems. Um, and obviously green technology, clean technologies, renewables, they all fall into that. And I also feel that you can't just pick one thing and expect it to solve all your problems, which is something you see a lot in the solar industry. You get people to come in and say, oh, my bills are really high and I, I need to be more environmentally friendly. I just got to put solar panels all over my roof and then that solves my problems. But it rarely does. And I think you have to look at it from more of a holistic perspective or a systems theory perspective where you have to look at all the angles and figure out where all the little problems are and how all these things work together. And when you do that, you come up with the best solutions. Yeah, that's why we're so synergistic. We're trying to do that internally in businesses using the flourishing business model. We want we want businesses to be flourishing, not sustainable. And we want them to be thinking about themselves local and global uh, and how we fit into the whole ecosystem, not just our tech ecosystem or our arts ecosystem or whatever that is. So interesting. So um, tell me a little bit about um, how you got involved in this space and um, a little bit about maybe how it works, because I think people in Rainforest are going to be interested in hearing about that. Yeah, for sure. Um, <clears throat> I started looking for a place about a year and a half ago now, almost two years ago, where uh, my company, uh, Clip Sustainability Projects, and a few other companies and people that we were working with could jump into a nice office space, share the space, and you know, work on projects together because a lot of us already were working together. Uh, it just made more sense like financially because we could share the cost of an expensive office space. And, you know, the first few attempts didn't really work out, took too long, couldn't find the right place, you know, timing, things like that. And then last year in October, the opportunity for this place just sort of fell into our lap. Um, The landlord uh, here, he had kicked someone out next door and that was a pretty big space. And then the group that was on the third floor where we are here, uh, they also had half the second floor and they moved out about two weeks after. So he ended up in a position with, I think it was about 17,000 square feet of empty space in downtown at about the worst possible time for a building owner. You know, vacancy is still super low or super high in downtown. So no one's renting. And my solar company or sustainability company needed a new place. And I have another business downstairs, which is uh, Studio 5 Tattoo. And so I approached the landlord and said, hey, we already have a spot here. Could we look at maybe taking over some space at a low rate? And in turn, you could help out my company, a few other companies, some of the nonprofits that I'm involved in. He was already uh, a customer of Emco Energy, which is an energy company that the Go Technology Foundation set up. And I'm one of the founding members. He was quite aware that we use 100% of that revenue to fund our nonprofit. He just really liked that. So he agreed to entertain the idea of giving us extremely low rate in trade for services on the building. And you know, as of right now, we're turning it into a bit of a living lab and research project on heritage buildings. So for him, that whole concept was worth it. And that's how we got in here. Yeah. So Metaspace is in a heritage building and attached to it is a storefront that was used for retail. And so the heritage building is is the, the focus of where you're using your Internet of Things IoT sensors to, to uh, work around energy... Um, efficiencies? Is that how it works? Um, that's part of it. Uh, so one aspect is learning the buildings so we can understand where there's issues with energy efficiency. 
Uh, it also helps us deal with just management of the systems in a building so we can get to the level of controlling lights and security and electrical, pretty much anything that's digital, we can get to the point of controlling. Um, it also helps us build predictive models on understanding the way the building should perform so that we can predict things like um, maybe a furnace breaking in the middle of winter. So getting to the point where we can know that it's going to happen before it happens. And in heritage buildings, that's you know, it's a huge plus because they're hard enough to manage as is. Uh, the other issue is that no one has really figured out how to accurately understand heritage buildings and how to upgrade them. Usually when we put new building upgrades in and retrofits, like say new windows, we're kind of shooting in the dark. And a lot of the time they spend a lot of money on this and they don't really get the value out of it that they thought they would. So this way we can build a case study and start providing detailed information on how to actually renovate and upgrade heritage buildings, which are a huge liability when it comes to carbon emissions. We have a train going by, so people are finding it hard, it's hard to hear us just to let you know that, oh, it's down the caboose just went by. And another reason why we want to do this, so having poor windows in a building like this, is it's not only just energy efficiency, it's uh, acoustic efficiency and comfort, and we want to help people figure out how to make healthy buildings. Yeah, and that applies to new buildings. There's been lots of buildings that I've been in, they're, they're new or newish, and you can't uh, dress for the weather because you don't know if it's going to be too hot or too cold inside, and that's what, uh, particularly true probably of heritage buildings. So. Yeah. yeah. So tell us a little bit about the neighborhood that you're in here and how are you connected in, connected into the neighborhood? Um, yeah, so this neighborhood, I, I believe this is one of the oldest streets in Calgary. So this building itself is 108 years old now, I think, 107. I've had my business downstairs here for about five years. And growing up, I spent a lot of time in this area, um, skateboarding, doing things mm -hmm. like that. As far as being integrated into the community, um, well, we've got a partnership with uh, the Greta Bar, which is next door. Oh my God, my intern and I just went down there. I thought it was going to just be like a little one-room shack with a table tennis thing or something. You guys got to come down and check this out. Seriously, we're going to have a party down there. When you come visit Metaspace, we're going to take you around because that is a super cool space. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, actually, uh, with our partnership, uh, when we have guests or events, um, we give out free gaming cards so they can go downstairs afterwards and have a good time. So uh, all you have to do is come to Metaspace and we'll uh, hook you up. So yeah, but they're a great, great company to partner with for us just it's a, it's a really good fit. Lots of, of video games and techie kind of stuff going on. So the crowd's really good. And it opens a lot of doors for us to, to do events with each other and, uh, you know, cross park each other. So tell us a little bit about your team. You Well, you're involved in lots of projects. So I'm not sure how you can describe your team. You're similar to my partner and I. We're, we got our fingers in a lot of pots, but yeah. it's all connected and it's all related to social impact and sustainability in some way, yeah. even though that's not the word we're using. But you know what but, I mean, right? Yeah, that's the that's general <laughs> word. And that's what people understand. So uh, it makes sense to use that. Yeah, I've got my hands in a lot of different projects and initiatives. One of the main goals with Metaspace, you know, what we were trying to do before was that we want to create a super team. So we want to find the right members, the right partners to come in so we can approach really big issues, you know, initiate really large projects that will have large impacts on the population in the world. One of the things that we use for bringing people in is uh, an application process. So last year, uh, my friend Jason and I were accepted into the Creative Destruction Lab program for the Rockies. 
And uh, we actually just finished that a couple of weeks ago and made it through the whole program. That process of applying and going through the first few months of, you know, kind of going through that filtering process taught me a lot and it allowed me to really understand how to determine if a venture is in a good position to get somewhere or maybe they are, but they need help. And this way you can figure out where they need help. And we use that to determine if they're a good fit for us and also how our team can help them. So we want to coach or guide or mentor people that are coming in with us. And the whole point of that is to get them to a point that their business is, is successful and they're able to jump into large projects in the mm-hmm. future. With mm-hmm. us. And that's important to us as well uh, as Intenovus Canada as uh, Impact Calgary, launching an impact hub here in Calgary in our crowdfunding hub. This is a really uh, not only serendipity, but it seems like fated almost that we should be mm-hmm. partnering. So it's really exciting that we get to have this conversation and share it with the world. Yeah. Um, so what's your favorite part about being an entrepreneur? That's a tough one. I don't know if I would even recommend to anyone become an entrepreneur. (laughs) It's a pretty tough, uh, (laughs) tough road. Um, But I think the best thing is that you get to pave your own way. And if you're a creative and motivated person, uh, I think your only option is to be an entrepreneur because everywhere else you'll probably be limited in what you can do. So yeah, the freedom to just really pursue your interests and what you want to do. If your goals are to change the world in a positive way, then that's sort of your ticket to doing that. Do you have any formulas or secrets for keeping organized, getting all your projects? You have lots of partners. You have really good partners. You have really good teams. You can just snap your fingers and uh, miraculously things show up. I don't know what... what what the what's happening in the background but I, I there's a funny cartoon out there that says, looks like Einstein and a couple of scientists they're scribbling on one side and then they're scribbling on the other side of this chalkboard in the middle it says and then a miracle happens and it's you know from the beginning of the equation to the end of the equation people don't understand how what the coordination in this in the and everything that happens in between so what does that look like for you oh boy <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i guess I mean, since I'm born and raised here, so I do have quite the network of friends. And uh, I think I spent a lot of my life working extremely hard, but also trying to help people wherever I can. And I think that's a big part of success as an entrepreneur. You you have to put yourself out there and help people sometimes for free, actually probably a lot of time for free. But you have to build your community and your network and you have to build trust and you got to be you got to be a kind of person that people want to support as well and that goes a long way so when people say nice guys finish last i don't know if that's quite true as an entrepreneur because i think you have to be quite a considerate and an empathic person to really succeed as an entrepreneur unless you've got tons of money behind you yeah, yeah. well that really ties into the rainforest social contract so if the people who are listening aren't familiar with rainforest uh, where we sort of have a uh, philosophy that we want to live by. And for some people, it's a, a amazing, mind-blowing experience. But for people like us, we live it every day anyways. And so we're, we're always about sharing and building trust and collaborating and offering support and, and all the things that I can't think of off the top of my head that are in the contract. But uh, <laughs> I'll put it in the notes so you guys who are listening that aren't familiar uh, what the social contract is that we sort of live by. Um, tell us a little bit more about um, sort of what your next steps are? What are your what are your big goals? Okay. Well, the big goals right now are to get this whole place tuned up 
get lots of devices in place so we can collect data on the building, but also just overall get the architectural setup of this space uh, completed and ready to take you know tons of people in here and start doing lots of good functions and events mm-hmm. and support initiatives and projects. So I think my main goal right now is just that, building up the space as quickly as possible. Yeah. So if people were interested in getting involved involved in Metaspace, uh, do you have something planned and set up ready for people to be interested? I mean, we are yep. always giving tours, but what else could we be doing? Yeah. Well, next week, we should have our website up with a full management system. So we'll be able to actually provide accounts for people and let them integrate with everybody on a platform. That'll allow people to either set up appointments to come tour the space, book rooms, purchase memberships, or even just contact us to discuss any ideas they have, questions they have. You're talking about a little bit, you've lived in Calgary your whole life, and so you have this sort of network, deep, strong network. For people who are going to be coming into Metaspace and projects and the serendipities and and the collisions and collaborations that are going to occur, um, how important is building a culture of trust for you? And how do you, what are your plans for doing that? Well, that's huge. Obviously, I think you have to have a culture of trust to make something like this work. If you have all sorts of people coming in here, working together, they have to trust each other. I would say the way we we manage that is through the application process. So it's where we differ from a lot of co-working spaces that you can't just sign up and get a membership and then start booking a room. You have to sign up with an application. We review it, have you in for a meeting as a group. We want to make sure that people get to know you before you come in here. We want to make sure everybody feels comfortable. And we want to ask you some, maybe not super hard questions, but we want to really dig in and see who you are, what you're doing, and are you a good fit. We need generative thinking. We need people to be thinking about thinking, not yeah. just to uh, this, uh, what's it called when you fail fast? Yeah. Uh, lean, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, meta thinking. So thinking about exactly. thinking, hence meta space. Exactly. Yes. I wasn't even, I, I wasn't even aware that that's what we, where, where your term for meta space came from. That's just. <laughs> well, yeah. I, well, meta space, I guess, um, Meta means something either a, a level up or a set that includes all sets or something that thinks about the thing that it is. So being self-referential. So that's kind of where it came from. Um, what are some of the so the resources and tools that are going to be in the space? So that might include all the partnerships that you're building or it might include just the things that you'll be offering or the connections that you're making into the community. For example, the super awesome game bar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, so... I know this is going to be sort of a, a constantly developing thing because it also depends on who is in our space. So part of being in the space is that if you're a core member, when we bring in new memberships, it's expected that you provide at least a little bit of support to them if need be. So if we find that, let's say a new member needs help with marketing and you're the marketing guy, their membership with that, you would give them maybe one to two hours a month, depending on what their needs are free. That's part of their membership. Um, Anything beyond that, then they would pay you for that. The whole point of the onboarding process is to accurately figure out what they need. And then that way, we can gear the internal support to them based on exactly what they need. We're hoping to have services around grant writing, uh, website development, digital media, uh, possibly engineering. I'm already looking at uh, contacting some lawyers so we can have legal support for new ventures and startups to make sure that they're protected. The opportunity to teach. So one thing that we do expect out of anyone who's getting a mentorship type uh, membership is that they have to teach. And if they're not ready to teach, part of that would be coaching them. We feel that teaching is one of the best ways to integrate with the public, but it's also a really good way to hone your skills. 
it's one thing to do it in your head. It's another to actually tell someone how it works. It's uncanny how we think of like the, the main, one of the major premises of Impact Calgary was to uh, include entrepreneurs in that process of the, the, the cycle and especially considering artists to use their craft of their art form to teach leadership and development skills and, and helping coaching artists into that space if they wanted to go into that space. Um, but there's a, we have a, 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 an entourage of artists that are waiting for us to get going so that we can start doing these really interesting things in ways, thinking in ways that people aren't normally thinking, especially in business. The first question out of anyone's investor pocket is, what's your five-year exit strategy? And you know we want people to be thinking a bit more creatively about their business than just how they're going to exit. Yeah. And I would agree you need artists for that. And obviously, my background is art, well, art and engineering. But um, yeah, it... If you want to create new things that are disruptive or game-changing, you have to be extremely creative. And that's what artists do. They find ways to think or see things that the regular population can't see. And they find ways of explaining that so that other people can understand it. So you have to support artists if you really want to make change, I think. Amen. So tell us a little bit about your art background. I've, I've, I heard something about a surfboard or something or a skateboard or something, but I don't actually know the story. Tell me about that. Oh, oh with um, Sitka. Well, when I lived in Victoria, I uh, was commissioned to do a surfboard for a, a new surf company out right. there, which is now turned into, I guess, a full-on clothing eco company. Um, so yeah, that's one of my earlier jobs that I did. I think I was about 20 when I did that. You're not 20 now? Yes, I am. Folks at home, he looks like he's 12. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Um, but yeah, I've been doing art almost my whole life, I think. I mean, as far back as I can remember. Do you have a particular medium that you work in? Um, well, primarily now it would be tattooing, but, um, I mean, I, I work in digital arts, I've done sculpture, I've done architectural installations, oil painting, acrylic painting, watercolor. Mm. I've worked in a lot of mediums, yeah. Yeah, I find fascinating. Uh, there's not very many. I know a few um, engineers who are also artists, and it's, a, it's, a, it's an unusual space for engineers to be in, and it's an unusual space for artists to be in. And when you find it in one person, it's really, um, I find it very, super dynamic and super interesting. Just the, that creativity and structure piece. I don't know, is it both halves, halves of the brain or how that works, but it's just not a normal. And when no, I, and I don't, not. I don't agree with normal, by the way. So yeah, it's, <laughs> it's not usual. That's for that's sure. Right. That's um, right. Yeah. When I was in engineering, so when I was younger, I, I studied aeronautical engineering and definitely I was the only artist in that group for sure. Yeah. Um, and when I went to UFC years later, same thing. There was a couple of people that were into art, but definitely was not a common thing mm. that I'd seen. And I think it's just being quite centered in the brain because you're always using both sides of the brain mm. when you're doing that. So I guess that's just where your head has to be. Yeah. I'm ambidextrous. I think that's part of my, this creativity, scientific piece that I'm, that I'm part of. So did your parents influence you in one way or the other? Like, I think I like, I, I know lots of engineers that in the first year of engineering, they knew they didn't want to do it. And they're still engineers now because of the, the pressures or the reasons that they had for continuing something they didn't want to do. How did your parents sort of fit, fit into who you are as a person now? Well, I never met my dad. My mom, I think, well, drawing was probably a good way to keep me under control. Right? So it was one of those things where it's like, hey, here's a pencil, draw mom a picture. So since I was about maybe four or five, I think I've been drawing and right. I just kept doing that. And 
So I guess that's how my mom sort of geared me towards that. She's not an artist or anything like that, but quite supportive. So whatever I wanted to do, mm-hmm. I just did. And, you know, she was one of those pretty lenient parents. I never had a curfew, never really had rules. So I guess I just kind of figure out how to manage myself by having the ability to be responsible for myself. Interesting. It's yeah. like we're twins. I'm serious. Yeah. So tell me a little bit, like, how did you get into tattooing as, as the drawing art form? So I've been I'm keeping up on Ink Master, by the way. Oh. <laughs> so yeah, when uh, when I moved to Victoria, uh, the girl that I was engaged to then, um, she was going to school there, so I had to go. And I didn't like I grew up, you know, I'm probably one of the poorest neighborhoods in the city, so it's not like I had a, a college fund or anything. So I had to get a job, and. Probably around 18, 19, people were telling me, like, hey, you know, you should get into tattooing or your drawing's really good. And I didn't have any tattoos yet, at least not when I was 18. But uh, yeah, I, I just started looking at that. And when I went to Victoria, uh, at that point, I was a, a graffiti artist and quite a prolific one, I guess you Did could you say. Did you get caught? Oh, I've been caught a couple of times, yeah, when I was younger. Um, but, you know, that was my thing. I did it quite well, I would say. And, I was able to get in with a tattoo studio in Victoria that had a pretty well-known graffiti artist working there. And that was sort of my foot in the door. And being out there, that whole experience didn't really last too long. So um, I actually got fired in my apprenticeship because they thought I was in art school and I was in mechanical engineering. Right. And uh, yes, they didn't think I could do both. So... I had actually quit my job to go there and do that. So I ended up just moving back to Calgary and uh, I found an aeronautical engineering program. So while I was in school, I just taught myself how to tattoo. And when I got out of school, <clears throat> I'd done quite well. Finished half a year early. I was student president at second highest GPA in the program. But I couldn't find a job here that I was comfortable with. So morally comfortable. It was either work on the oil field or get into, you know, Air Force type stuff like weapons development and military. That wasn't really my thing. And all the other morally acceptable jobs didn't really pay very well or they, they were boring. So I wouldn't have lasted there. And I had an opportunity to go tattoo at a local studio and the pay was right in the middle. And it's a lot of fun. I get to hang out with people all day and, you know, do good things for people. So I went with that. And that led you to your own studio. Yeah, actually, the studio I worked in at first was not really a high-end studio. It was more of a get-em-in, get-em-out kind of thing. And that's fine. It was a good way to learn. But uh, I like to really spend time with my clients, make sure they're having a good time, and make sure that I'm doing a really good job, which means you're not getting them in, getting them out. You're kind of making sure you're taking time, doing the right thing. So I think I lasted there two and a half months. And I was in the position of, well, I don't have enough experience to get into a really good studio and I don't want to go work at a really bad studio. So I just opened my own shop. Mm -hmm. And so I was 22, 23 when I opened my my first studio. Right. And and, and is there there a way that that craft translates into the way you do business? I'm assuming yes, but I'd just like to see if you can explain that. Um, Yeah, I think... I, I kind of threw myself in there without any business experience. I didn't know what I was doing. So I had to quickly learn how to manage a business and all the things that go with that. It also made me a lot more comfortable with 
interacting with people. I think when I was in school, I'd kind of lost touch with how to be integrated within groups. So I was sort of an introvert. A lot of my friends were not into that. You know, most of my friends were in bands or they were graffiti writers or skateboarders. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, most of my youth was spent doing those kinds of things. So I didn't have too many outlets to communicate with people. So I had to really learn how to interact with general public and how to be a business owner and take on those responsibilities. So yeah, I'd say tattooing really just forced me into understanding how to run a business. Right. Nice. Yeah. So in this day and age, um, the sustainable development goals is starting to become a bit of a movement, uh, B Corp um, certification and principles as well. Uh, IRIS, which is a, a model for investors who are looking to measure s- s- sustainable impact in the businesses that they invest in. Do you have some plans in mind about how you're going to start measuring sustainability? Or maybe you've been doing it all along. Mm-hmm. But the reason I'm asking is it's becoming more of a trend. We know that trillions of dollars are being divested from the energy sector and being transitioned or pivoted into social impact businesses. And so yeah. we want to make sure that entrepreneurs are in that space. And how, is, how do you fit into that? Um, I would 100% agree that the money is transitioning to clean tech and you know sustainability or going beyond sustainability uh, for sure. I think the same day that we had our election this year when Kenny got into power, there was the, the conference in Toronto around the oil and gas sector and no one was investing. It's kind of ironic those things happen on the same day and here we are trying to push back into those sectors, but the rest of the world is saying, you know, they're not putting their money into it. And we know that's going to come back here. I mean, it's happening everywhere. So I think a focus on those aspects, whether it's you providing a product or a service or just the company you have showing people that you're actually making an effort to follow suit, I think is a really good thing. It's a good mm-hmm. strategy. I don't think anyone nowadays can really argue that sustainable businesses are profitable businesses. No, I think they're becoming more profitable in in, in many instances. And if we can grow and embed those uh, principles and philosophies early in, early on, um, it just makes it so those businesses much stronger and be able to grow faster. So that's actually one of our focuses that we want to do here in mentoring these new members that come in. Part of that is showing them how to do that, their business right from the start. That's right. And I wish I had had that. Going through the CDL program really showed me not so much just about sustainability, but really understanding your business and the marketing and how sustainable is it? Not, yeah. not just on environmental, but also financial. Like, are you really thinking out what you're doing and is it something that's going to be viable into the yeah. future? Interesting. I always, I was always from the huge sustainability side and I wish I had that little business help, but I needed business help from people who had a sustainable mindset because I was in lots of accelerators and incubators where I just didn't fit in. I don't pick up the phone unless it's for more than $4 million. And that, those are the conversations I'm having because I'm thinking about more than $4 million. I'm thinking about all the aspects around that $4 million. And I think yeah. you and I and the team here is going to be able to do some really significant things around supporting that ecosystem here in Calgary. So I'm so glad we found you. I'm so happy that we're part of your team. And I'm so happy that we're here on the Rainforest Podcast to introduce you to all those people that don't know about you yet. Is there a question that you'd like people to ask you when they when they pop in or like what what's the most what do you want to know about the people when they're connecting in with you or what do you want to share? What's your what's your little tidbit out there that you wish everyone already knew? I want people to know that the main focus of this place is just collaborating to actually make some change really fast. 
So people that come in here, we don't expect them to have a venture that's super developed or be a company that's making tons of money. All we care about is that they're motivated and they have good ideas and that they're thinking way beyond where we are mm-hmm. right now. Disruption is your middle name. Yes. Yes. Awesome. Well, thank you, Dustin. I really appreciate you having you on the Rainforest podcast. You're really good. Uh, you're my second interviewee. I think this is going to be my most uh, well-known podcast for years to come. Thank you so much for being here. It's awesome. Thank you. My pleasure. If you haven't already, visit rainforestab.ca and sign the Rainforest Social Contract. Become part of the inclusive, silo-busting, sector-agnostic, all-industry, open-source, ego-shrinking, ecosystem-building, entrepreneur-focused, wide-open, social-barrier-smashing community known as Rainforest Alberta. This episode is sponsored by Capturing Legacies, because everyone has a story, and Capturing Legacies is here to help you tell it. Visit CapturingLegacies.com for more information. Music for the show was created by Tony Deldegan. Please be sure to share this episode with everyone you know. Also, don't forget to come by and say hi at the next Rainforest event. Let us know what you think of this podcast. If you're interested in being either a host, sponsor, or a guest of the show, send me an email at rainforestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.